Welcome back, everybody, to the Three Way Miss podcast. Matt here, Scott, and TK will join me shortly. Before we get to the latest episode, we do want to remind you that the Three Way Miss podcast is brought to you by Golf and Ski Warehouse. Golf and Ski has New England's largest selection of golf equipment, apparel, and accessories. Golf and Ski offers you all the best names at competitive low prices. And Golf and Ski specializes in providing you with free expert custom club fitting in their TrackMan 4 and GC Hawk Golf Simulators. At Golf and Ski, you always get the expert personal service you need to find the best equipment for your game. So swing by the Golf and Ski store nearest you in West Lebanon, Greenland, and Hudson, New Hampshire, and in Scarborough, Maine, and learn more at www.golfskiwarehouse.com. Additionally, the Three-Way Miss podcast is brought to you by New Hampshire Distributors and Bellavance Beverage. NHD, along with Bellavance, form a network that covers the entire footprint of New Hampshire for your beverage needs. They are the premier beverage wholesaler in New Hampshire with a dynamic portfolio of beers, as well as other alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages. So thanks to Golf and Ski. New Hampshire Distributors, and Bellavance Beverage for their sponsorship of the Three-Way Miss podcast. And with that, let's get you to the latest episode. Welcome back, everybody, to our post-masters edition of the Three-Way Miss podcast. Quite a bit to talk about for the first major of the year, really kind of a fun week at Augusta. And you know, I'll, I'll start it this way, guys, and, and pose a question to you. And, and Scott, we'll start with you. But I'm sure a lot of thoughts about a lot of different players, but really happy for Hideki. He played great throughout the course of the week and somebody who I think a lot of us as golf fans were sleeping on a little bit. And to bring back an old talking point from, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands was, was Hideki the best player who hadn't won a major yet? I'll throw that out to you guys. Oh boy. No, uh, I think the answer is no. Of course, that means I have to come up with a name or two off the top of my head. <laughs> who, who? I mean, he's only won five times. I say only. I, obviously, that's pretty darn good. But I mean, uh, you know, how can you not? I guess immediately think of Lee Westwood as being uh, a better player and a better career. And so that's just off the top of my head. So no, I, I don't think so. And and while he's an incredibly de- deserving champion. And and it wouldn't shock me uh, if he won more, but no, I I wouldn't give him that label. For this, he had eight career top tens in majors, just as a reference. So you know he's been there, been close no, before. Sure, to be fair, sure. But again, only I think five tour wins. So no, I mean Kucher, is that a better career? Yeah, um, you you could go through a list, I think, but and he'd be on it, but I would not put him at the head of the class. I mean, Ricky comes to mind in the, in the year of, and I don't know about the longevity of his career, but think about the runs he had, especially that year when he was top five in all four majors, and they thought he was on the cusp of breaking right. through. Right. And then you look to this year, and he's, I mean, he's not even coming in top 20, top 30, top 40s, and he's missing, he's not even getting invited to the Masters. So how, how fast it can go away. Yeah, for sure. So regardless of that, again, great performance by Hideki. Just want to get your guys' thoughts. TK, you know, we, we saw it on social media, a, a little bit boring on Sunday afternoon. Anticlimactic, if you want to use a better term than boring. Obviously, Xander looked like he was going to make it interesting 
on 15 there with the two shot swing and, and then did, did what he did on, on 16, but just give us your thoughts on the week and, and Hideki's performance. Yeah. You know what? You just, uh, you touched on something, Maddie Keene and I were talking, you know, we, we all build the masters up so much in our own heads between side conversations with friends and pools that we're in. And we're almost in too many pools for the masters. You don't know which player you have in which pool. And then you get into a weekend and it doesn't live up to the hype sometimes. And I think that's maybe what this masters was, you know, we go back to 2019 and, and that tiger win was just the peak. So it was like, okay, we're at the peak of the masters 2020 was a different year. Obviously, I think we were all excited to just have any type of major golf uh, and DJ obviously setting the scoring record was a different type of thing. And then, yeah, this, this year on the weekend felt different. Obviously the rain delay on Saturday afternoon, you have a little bit of a, a, a hiatus in, in coverage and then it comes back. And obviously the, with the rain, Hideki was the one who capitalized the most to get himself that, that four shot cushion going into Sunday. But, but I agree. So it was, it was an odd day of watching golf. And uh, obviously there was a little run on the back nine and Hideki was playing very smart conservatively. And uh, you know, we needed Xander to, to step up on 16 there. I think as we've chatted, I, I don't know any of us really understand what he was doing, even if he fatted the ball or there was a gust of wind as he claims, I don't really think any of us understand the line because you just can't do that there because it was, it was right there in his grasp to get him coming in. You know, Hideki was definitely playing conservative. That would have been an awesome finish if he could even have made par there, right? Because Hideki dropped one. I totally agree. Uh, I, think, I think Hideki was on the ropes. And, and, you know, pressure changes things. And I think that, you know, there was, there was a valve and he was ready to pop. And then, and then all of a sudden Xander puts in the water and it was almost like exhale, I won kind of thing. And you think about it, let's just say Hideki still makes bogey and Xander just pars. Well, now it's one with two to go yep. and he's going the other direction and now everything changes. And so I agree with what you said. You know, it's interesting, you know, that what's the, the famous line about the masters, you know, the, it doesn't start till the back nine on Sunday. Well, they got the day wrong. It started on the back nine on Saturday mm-hmm. um, because really at the rain delay, nobody was even really considering Hideki. And, and you think about the two players that went two diametrically different directions. Hideki goes six under through the last eight after the rain delay. And JT was right there and he went the exact opposite direction. And so that rain delay had a huge, huge impact on the tournaments in general, but specifically two players who I would have guessed would have done the opposite of what they actually did. That being said, you know, while it was anticlimactic to some degree, the reality is after a hole or two, it was down to one again. I mean, it started at four. Zalatoris goes birdie, birdie. Hideki bogeys one. I mean, on the second tee, Hideki was only one ahead. And again, quickly after that, he was up to three again. But my point is that there were a couple of opportunities where it really could have been you know, exciting. And yet I think Hideki's driver and Hideki's short game were, were the, the difference in many respects. And, you know, I think about the, really the key of the last eight holes on Saturday for him, obviously six, six under was spectacular, but that up and down on 18, when he leaves the, you know, he blows it over the green and then he, 
chips it to essentially a, a kick in, you know, yeah, it's only one shot, but guess what? He only won by one shot, part one. And part two, when you leave the course with a great up and down after going six under through the previous seven holes, and then you get a great up and down, boy, that feels a lot better than six under through those seven holes and then making a bogey on 18. And so there were a couple of chances for it to be exciting, but I but I tend to agree that was a little bit flat for for our liking. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you, Scott. I think he won the golf tournament on Saturday afternoon. I mean, the way he played, the shot he hit on 16 on Saturday afternoon was unbelievable. He hit it to, I don't know, three or four feet probably. He was just completely dialed in. So I, I think that's spot on that that really coming out of delay, he just he he just took the bull by the horns and and sort of held on. And you're right, he bogeyed one. And I was thinking, okay, it's game on here. He's nervous. This is the first time for him trying to do this. But when they finished the front nine, I think he had shot even. You know, he didn't play great on Sunday, but to to go out and all he did what he needed to do. And another question for you guys, does the fact that yes, you had Zalatoris birdie one and two, but then falling back a little bit. Does some of the lack of, of intrigue on the back nine on Sunday speak to maybe some of the inexperience of the chase group? We saw Xander who's been there before. And as much as we want to talk about the issue on 16, going four over in a three hole stretch on the front nine on Sunday didn't help either because if he hadn't done that, when they actually got to 16 and they showed his scorecard, I'm thinking, well, they'd be tied right now if he hadn't, if he hadn't, screwed up on those three holes on the front, but you know, you had Rom play a really good round. So he jumped into the top five. You had a guy like Rose who's been there before, obviously had Spieth who's been there before, but I think we, we sort of saw that Spieth played well, but it wasn't going to be a peak Jordan performance. He was just a little bit off, but does that play into it that we didn't have a DJ or a, a Rory or a, a, a Jason day or a name your, your previous major champion sort of in that chase group. You had a guy who still doesn't even have full-time exemptor or status on the PGA tour chasing him down. Now he's got all the talent in the world, but did that play into it at all? I don't think so. I think it all came down to, to strokes. And, and I think you said it, I mean, on Saturday afternoon, he separated himself. I will say, I want to touch on that point. You said when he, uh, Hideki uh, Sunday afternoon, when he tees off and he blows that tee ball into the right woods. And that wasn't just in the woods. That was significantly in the woods. And then to save bogey there, I mean, I think at that point you said, okay, this might not even be bogey. He saves bogey. Uh, Zalatoris makes actually an incredible par after leaving in the bunker, right? And so you said the switch here. And then you said maybe he was even par on the front. He was actually two under. I was just checking it out. So he, he birdied two. Then he came out and he finished the front nine and he, and he birdied eight and he birdied nine. And if you remember on nine, he stuck an iron in there just to a couple feet. And so I think that maybe, you know, calmed his nerves a little bit. I did read something about Hideki though. That was, that was interesting. They said, Hey, did the nerves pick up on the back nine? He said, no, my nerves picked up when I woke up on Sunday morning. Right. <laughs> and how accurate that Good is for him. Right. right? And I, how honest that was to, to hear from somebody. He said, Nope. And I think it was relative to, you know, asking him about the weight of Japan on his shoulders. And I think that's what the, it transitions into. What an incredible win for him and for the country of Japan. Obviously, there's been some great Japanese players over time, but never having captured, captured a major. I think the, the last uh, top finish for one was in 1980, second to Jack Nichols in the U.S. Open. 
And so 41 years ago, when Hideki captures a major for the country of Japan, and, and obviously we all saw him in, in his travel back to Japan, but when he got back there, obviously the, the pictures and the imagery of him returning to Japan on uh, Tuesday were incredible. I think it's just an incredible win for him. I think it's an incredible win for Japan. And uh, I think that really becomes the story as he closed out the Masters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with the fact that I don't think it was a name issue. I think it was a, it was a golf issue that, that unfortunately nobody really stepped up. I mean, when you think about it, you know, the Spieth was, was six back to start the day, but a 67 gets him in a playoff. That's not an unreasonable ask. Right. And so that jumps to mind, you know, Rose, who I don't think has many chances left. This was a great chance for him. Really, if you look at it, he played 10 good holes in out of 72. He was eight under on Thursday for 10 holes. The rest of the golf was was very average. I think I think Rom is going to win a bunch of majors. I just think Rom's really, really good. And it's probably too much to ask for him to show up after having his first child that week. Um, I mean, Zalatoris, I, I got to say, does that kid not exude greatness? I mean, oh, yeah. that may be a little premature, the word greatness, obviously, but he, he exudes a winner. You know, it's hard not to think that this kid is going to be something special. Now you look at him, you think, and you wonder, well, is the putter a problem? Maybe who knows to be determined, but he looks like he knows how to win. He looks like he wants to be there. So, I mean, you go through the list. I mean, it, it, I think it was just simply, I mean, and, and Shoffley, I mean, really Shoffley's the one twice he put himself in position on Sunday and he was uh, what four over three, you know, like uh, how about the, the third hole, he almost drives the green and then he took a page out of my playbook and put, couldn't chip it on the green. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I was trying to tell him to put it from there, but you know, he, anyway, I, I kid the reality is so Shoffley plays like a dog early, puts himself back into position. And again, that 16th hole was killer, you know, just, put it on the green because Hideki's on the ropes and he couldn't do that. And so I tend to agree with Tyler that it was more, while I certainly think a name might've been uh, an intimidating presence, the reality was anybody, if anybody had gotten to 10 under, which was not a huge ask, obviously still significant, but not a huge ask. I think Hideki was, was a bit vulnerable. Yeah, I think looking at it, that you, you felt like somebody needed to post 10, which would have made him a little more uncomfortable. And ultimately, Zalatoris couldn't do that. A um, couple other points that, that, that you brought up, Scott, that I thought were interesting. One with Xander and, and TK, you mentioned it. It's just amazing. And, and this is going to sound ignorant, and I don't mean it to sound this way, but the, the, the whole location on Sunday, we see it every year. It always seems like it's a very easy shot for those guys because they have a pretty big area to aim for and still be, and they're still going to be able to catch the, that slope. They don't have to be spot on. And, and there's, there's different ways to do it. Rom had a really good one in there and he didn't catch the slope because he flew it just over the front of the green and it stopped. And it, it's just unbelievable. You just don't see 16 as an issue necessarily as a whole, where you think somebody's going to hit it in the water because they have this big green to hit. And that's such a mistake. And, and the three of us, I know we're texting during that and Scott, you and I both felt like he caught it heavy. It sounded like he caught it heavy to me. It looked like he caught it heavy to me. And that's just, you know, for a guy that, that has all the game in the world and Xander, boy, did he have that deer in the headlights look a little bit instead of 
we see the great ones take that moment and hit a shot in there to 15 feet and say, all right, Hideki, now you've got to do the same thing. And instead, you've already made the point, Scott, but he let him off the hook. He really did. Hideki could breathe easy then and say, you know what? I just got to hit it on the green. And even if I three putt, I'm still going to have a two shot lead with two, two holes to play. And your other point about Rose, and one of the interesting things I think about the Masters more so than the other majors, is there was a moment on Sunday on 15 where Rose hit his second shot, hit the trees. I don't know if you guys remember this. His second shot hits the trees, bounces down. Well, he hit it way right. He right? hit it right, yeah. Sort yeah. of towards the bunker, but it hits. Yeah, yeah. gets caught in the trees, hits down short of the bunker, and rolls in. And I think he ends up making bogey or whatever he, he makes. But they they show him finishing out on 15 and he sort of gives kind of a wry smile and a look to the sky. And and the thing that always resonates me with the masters is how there is this realization for the guys, especially that have been close, that it's going to be another year where they're not going to do it. And how much more this major feels important because you are part of that group forever. You always get to come back. You are always recognized as a past champion. And that's something for me that, that the guys who have been close, like Rose has, I think you're spot on Scott, that the clock, they know the clock is ticking and they're only going to have so many opportunities. And quite frankly, as guys get older, they only have so many opportunities to actually be invited to go play because of the, the pressure to be in that group that's invited to play. And that's, it, it's, it's tough to see that it's, it's, it's hard, right? Cause we want to see an exciting finish, but at the same time, you're happy for a guy like Hideki who seems genuinely like a good guy. And to know that now he gets to have that feeling of being in that fraternity forever. It's, it's really cool for him. Yeah. You know, most definitely. I mean, it is a life changing event and there's people who are, you know, you got the Jacks, the Tigers, the Arnies, the Garys, et cetera. That's the, that's a different category. And there's plenty of others that are masters champions, but there's others that are one-time winners and we've seen a bunch of them over the course of the last, you know, 20 years. Think of the folks like Immelman, and I can think we can say Sergio is probably going to be a one-time winner, but folks like that who are now part of that pantheon of master's greatness. And I think you're, you're touching on something with Rose. I heard an unbelievable story over the weekends. Uh, Scott Van Pelt was talking about, obviously, he's a, he's a master's fanatic, and he got his start at the Golf Channel, and obviously everyone knows he's a on ESPN now, but he was saying he's inside the ropes with his media credential and Scott Hoke walks up to him on the outside of the ropes. Right. And Scott was just there as a fan. This is in the last couple of years. And Scott Hoke says to Scott Van Pelt, Hey, ASVP, how you doing? And he says, Hey Scott, how are you? They start chatting and uh, you know, they're having a good time, give a fist pump. They walk, walk the other direction. And Scott Van Pelt says to himself, two feet, a two foot putt. And he's on this side of the ropes for the rest of his life. And that's kind of what you're talking about with Rose, right? Like these guys know it's, it's two feet. It's a shot here. It's a shot there. And it changes their entire golfing life because of what the masters means. Well, and you know, the champions dinner is such a cool thing, right? I can only imagine what it's like to be able to show up to the champions dinner. And, and, you know, I think about people like a, a Norman and, and an Ernie Yales who absolutely mm-hmm are great players who should have won a masters who would be absolutely a perfect fit for the champions dinner. And yet, and then I remember uh, listening to Duvall on live from, or, or something like that. And, and he was talking about how, you know, if somebody tells you that, that their near miss win 
um, if that I phrase that properly. Anyway, they're they're near miss. He says he thinks about it all the time. And if if somebody tells you they don't think about it all the time, they're lying to you. And and actually, it made me think of uh, I was watching the um, uh, the Wednesday practice round. I mean that that's what you know get a life. Right, you're watching a Wednesday <laughs> practice round. I wish I could have been there with you. <laughs> oh, I mean, so, but I'm watching, and Kepka's playing with Shane Lowry, and Kepka hits his shot on 12 to like the pin was on the right, he hits it to like two feet, you know, right of the flag. And here Shane Lowry goes, I bet you would have wished you had that one two years ago. <laughs> I'm thinking, whoa, whoa. But the fact that he could a comment and they chuckled about it, but again. Who knows if Kepka's ever going to have a green jacket? Mm-hmm. And so uh, to, to Matt's point, which is a great one, you know, winning a Masters is like the gift that keeps on giving because, you know, Larry Mize isn't a, isn't a Greg Norman. He isn't a uh, Ernie Els and, and, and such, but, but he won. Uh, and, he's, and he's, you know, Trevor Illman. They will always be there. And I think that's the greatness of the masters and, and, and also the pressures that go, that goes with it. Scott, I know you were high on him heading in. Talk to, talk to us about what you thought of, of Jordan's week. Again, a a good performance, a solid performance. It just, he had the triple on nine on Thursday, I think, which was, which was pretty ugly trying to punch out and he caught a tree and made it worse. But uh, another positive step, would you say for him to sort of get back to where he was? I absolutely. And I think, you know, I made a quick note, you know, my take was, especially on Sunday, but maybe even a little on Saturday was, it was his putter. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't his driver. Um, It was his putter. And if you go through the front nine, he had lots of chances to make putts and he was burning edges. And you know, we know how that is. Some days they lip in and some days they lip out. And I guess my point is he wasn't far off. And a putt or two goes in early on Sunday, and that 67 is attainable. And so, you know, we always know it's hard to, to win back-to-back weeks. It's, it's hard to win a major and all that. Clearly, he loves the golf course, and I would be shocked if he didn't win at least one more Masters because he loves it there. He plays well there. It fits his game. And I don't think he was far off. You know, any thoughts on Jordan? Yeah, I mean, he's special. And when he comes down Magnolia Lane, it is special. You mentioned something before when you're saying, hey, if Spieth could have shot a 67, he would have he would have put himself in contention on Sunday this year. And he can do that. I mean, look back to the, I think it was the Patrick Reed year when Patrick Reed won. And he shot a 64, but it easily could have been like a 61. Right. I mean, he can do some special stuff out there. And I think your point is spot on. It, that's the putter. The difference is the putter. You know, you make those putts, he puts himself in good spots. And then I think some of his decision-making at times, you know, you go back to the ninth hole on Thursday and you do, you question it. I think if we, we were all watching that on, Friday, on, on Thursday and going, hey, just chip out, just chip out sideways. And even the announcers, I think Colt Nose was on the call at that one. And he's saying, mm, I don't know, I really just don't see this. You know, and then he hits it off to the right, ricochets off that tree and goes and goes back dead left. Well, especially with his wedge game, right? right. Get it out yeah. in the fairway, put your wedge in your hand, you're gonna make four or five. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the and obviously we've talked about the dynamic between him and Greller, and it's just incredible. And you would have loved to have been even I'm sure the mic cuts away a little bit, but the <laughs> talk between them on that shot right there <laughs> was top notch. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, like I said, I think it was another another positive step for him. Um, 
you know, JT, we talked about, I know I, I was certainly high on him, Scott. I know you picked him kind of a indifferent start on Thursday. And then boy, did it seem like he had it going until the catastrophe on, on 13 on Saturday. Um, yeah, right, kinda, right up until the rain delay, Matt, right. I didn't yeah. feel like it's still sort of his to lose, if you will. Oh, yeah. A little strong, but he's, he was the man to beat. I thought. Yeah. Watching, watching with, with my kids. I mean, I, I was telling them all week that I, I really thought he was going to win considering how he'd been playing. And you're right. It's at least to me, it felt like, okay, at some point here, he's going to step on the gas and could potentially run away with this thing and just just made a, made a mess out of things after the delay. It's surprising, really, considering how well he'd been playing. Agreed. Yeah, it went two different directions. You got a guy like Hideki who just who got it. All of a sudden, the speed he was able to he was able to kind of course correct with the speed of the greens and, and JT, the speed of the greens just ate him up. And he actually admitted that afterwards. He said, I just could not calibrate myself once I went back out on that course. So I think the other kind of big story was as much as Sunday afternoon may have for long stretches been anticlimactic. I kind of thought that Friday afternoon was equally as anticlimactic. And you look at who was playing on Friday afternoon in the featured groups and you had major champion Roy McElroy and defending champion and major champion, Dustin Johnson, um, who guys who missed, missed the cut and just really surprising. I, I know that, the three of us traded some text about Rory, which we could probably do an hour on him because he is just completely lost right now. DJ surprised me. It looked like he was still going to be able to hang around and make the cut. And then it looked to me with four holes left, like he had no interest in being there and just wanted to get off the golf course. So really, you know, Xander played Friday afternoon and was obviously in contention, but Friday afternoon was just weird because all of the all of the leaders had already posted played early on Friday. And there we were watching some of the best players in the world with major champions flounder away and miss the cut. Yeah. I'd kept it to that list yep. as well. Right. I mean, um, um, yeah, I share your emotion on, on um, DJ, but I, but I have to, I have to say what, what stood out to me was Rory. I mean, it's one thing for DJ to look uninspired and missed by a shot or two but at least he had a chance. I mean, Rory was out early and often and, and it was really, I mean, for a course that I think fits him, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it just doesn't fit him. And maybe it's asks too much of his, his wedge and his putter that clearly are his weakness. But uh, you know, to think of where he was and where he is now, and you know, we all understand the ebb and flow of, of this game and how delicate the nature of playing well versus playing poorly is. But, but to use your words, Matt, and I totally agree. He does look lost. DK. Yeah. I mean, agreed. You know what I mean? He's got to get some, uh, he's got to find his way. And I think it's obviously more mental than, than physical right now. Uh, and I think he'll do that. I mean, he's a, he's a multi-time major champion, with the game, he'll be back. I don't think it's in the near term, but but he will be back. I do think one um, kind of ironic uh, undertone here that we're not talking about because one of the players everyone talks about leading into any major is DeChambeau, right? And he's not on our radar at all relative to Masters talk. So I think there's two kind of two kind of fun points to talk about. One, his range session. I think it was probably on Wednesday when VJ was standing next <laughs> to him. Just, just in I mean, awe. honestly, if you were at a range and you watched some guy like this, and he was over there two two stalls down at the range, watch him swing. When you go, like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> it's like he's doing a bit. I mean, it's seriously. He totally like Saturday Night Live from, yeah. from Augusta. 
Like, you know, and he's like the mad scientist and I'm not sure the mad scientist works at Augusta. I don't know. I mean, again, I'm sure I'm wrong. And in the long run, he'll prove us wrong. But the reality is I'm not sure he's a good fit for Augusta. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, I, and he may, he may prove us wrong, right? His game is, is surely evolving tournament to tournament. But, you know, when you come out last fall and you say, I played as a par 67, right? You're going to set yourself up for mockery when you go and, and you shoot over par rounds, right? And you say, oh, <laughs> you shot a 74, you were two over. Oh no, you were actually, you were actually six over <laughs> or seven over because par 67 for you. But I think he just does that to himself. And then, he obviously Thursday was a bad round. He did bounce back Friday. I thought he actually might have a good weekend after the bounce back on Friday, but he didn't. I think the Masters right now is one of those tournaments that may be in his head going forward. So we'll see. You, uh, you know, I think he needs to mature quite a bit. The the amount of times he gets caught on a mic with the oh my god when he lips out a putt, it's just just tedious. I mean, just, you know, you miss the putt, move on. But the, the, we talked about the likability factor with him and, you know, he seems like a guy who, when he's playing well and everything's going great, he's, he's okay to be around and, and fun to play with. But when it starts going bad, it's complaining about every shot and I'm not getting any breaks, even though he's taking lines that are absolutely absurd. So I'm not sure why you assume you're going to get good breaks when you're doing that, but it's a good point, TK, that is as big of a story as he's been in golf all year. He was a, a relative non-factor, particularly on the weekends. Yeah, I mean, 75-75. You know, so obviously posted, posted, a six, uh, posted a 67 on Friday, and we said, okay, maybe he's back, right? So he shoots even par. He shoots his even par 67. <laughs> and then, but then he goes 75-75 on, on, on Saturday, Sunday. And it's kind of, it's very Bryson-esque at the Masters, so. Yeah. We'll and, and Scott, to go back to your point about Rory as the show's resident Rory fan, it's, it was, it was hard to watch on Friday. Uh, you know, he's, he's had bad rounds uh, in the first round there last year being an example. I think he was up into the mid mid seventies, but then came back with a good round. And I think there was part of, part of all of us that thought, okay, he's going to shoot 67 or 68 and and still make the cut and and maybe do something on the weekends. But to see him like this, where it's not just, I mean, the, the, the open at port rush is another example, 79 in the first round. And then he shoots what 64, 65, whatever he shot in the second round to almost make the cut. That was, that was sort of becoming the, the Rory, this one bad round, one bad nine. And this is, this is just, he is in a place right now where I, I don't know how you could see him competing in anything at the moment. He just is nowhere close to, to what we've seen. And I, I think you're spot on Scott, that it's hard to believe that it's come to this for him with as much talent as he has. And look, we, we, we talked about him last year and Frank Noble, I think made a great point a couple of years ago at the masters. Rory always left us wanting more because he would have this bad nine and then come back and play really well. And last year there was pressure on him, obviously to win at Augusta. And he had, I don't know, I think he had a bad round one last year as well. And then he, he backdoor top 10 it in, in the masters last year, there he was top 10. And that's, again, that's what we'd come to expect. And if he was playing this week at Harbor town, would you bet on him being in the top 10? I mean, I guess you might say because of his talent, absolutely but, not, but no way the way he's no. playing. Okay. So transition that out a month, obviously PGA championship returns to Kiowa where he thrived. What do you think? 
Well, I had in my pool to start of the year at Kiwa. So. <laughs> but um, yeah, how can you sit here and say, you know, the, the only thing I would give him is two things. A, he's obviously still extremely talented. And sometimes you go back to a place where he had good vibes and good history. And, and sometimes that can uh, kickstart some good things. But, but based on form, uh, no. And, and, you know, you listen to him in interviews. I mean, I just don't think he knows. I don't think he has really. Well, you're, a you're hitting wedge shots or short irons 30 yards over the green. I don't know how that's a problem you necessarily are able to fix in a month and at a major championship. I mean, it's, it's some of the shots he hits are just mind boggling for a place that he knows well and seems to like the golf course. And he knows where you're supposed to hit it and where you're not supposed to hit it. He was just not even, not even close. I mean, it's like watching a, your favorite football team that, you know, they can't even get out of the huddle correctly. That's what it was like. Just completely lost out there. It's like having Cam Newton as your quarterback. <laughs> Hey, what year was it? Was it 2011 when Rory was leading, standing on the 10th tee and hooked that ball into the left woods? Was that, was that going? said 12, but I'm not sure of that. So in that yeah, in we're that, in the yeah, same ballpark. In the ballpark back then. I mean, to me, he hasn't been, even though he's had some of those nice Sunday rounds to catch up and get a top 10, maybe a top five, he hasn't been the same at Augusta since then. And granted, he's got four major championships uh, elsewhere, but I mean, that was... That, that's such a, a vivid memory for me when he was right. standing on that tee and hooked that so far left. Well, he was, I mean, he was in the final group with Patrick Reed a couple of years ago and just, uh, I forget who won that year, but he didn't do anything. Right. So right. I got to, I got to sneak back to Zalatoris for one quick minute. Cause I have, I have two questions um, relative to him. Um, a, does it make any sense that someone in the top 15 in the FedEx, what would be top 15 in the FedEx standings, isn't a member of the tour and will not play in the FedEx Cup, part one? And part two, if you are Steve Stricker, aren't you picking him for your team, at least as of today's form? So here's a guy who won't be able to play in the FedEx Cup, but boy, that kind of attitude and grit and, uh, and competitiveness would look good on a USA uh, Ryder Cup team. Yeah, I totally agree. That's the kind of guy we need. Um, I know we talked a little bit about the Ryder Cup with with Rich last week, and he made some really good points. I think all of us feel, you know, there's a lot of talent out there on on, on both sides, but it's been a team chemistry problem. And a guy like that who's young and motivated and just kind of a stone-cold killer out there, he would bring a lot to the group to to have him be part of the team. And as to your point about, you know, not still not having that that – exempt status on the PGA tour. It's just wacky. I, I, I saw something funny on Twitter. I, I forget the exact comment, but it was something like if he had won or if he, I think he's playing this week at Harbor town. If he wins this week, he he could be leading the the FedEx cup and the corn Ferry points races at the same time or something <laughs> like that. It is just wonky how a guy like that isn't sort of, you know, they talk about these battlefield promotions from the Corn Ferry Tour. Now, the guy just won $1.2 million and finished solo second at the Masters. I, I think that's a guy you want on tour full-time. No doubt behind closed doors, they want that as well. And I'm sure they're trying to figure out how they can change some of these parameters for sure. But if I'm Steve, if I'm Steve Stricker, I want him on that team. I think you're absolutely right. I think he's got a great personality. I think that's what works if your game is, if your game is in shape during the Ryder Cup, 
going back. So he's a California kid and the top California golf program, Stanford, et cetera, did not recruit him. So that's how he ended up at Wake Forest. Pretty incredible. Right. And he's only 24 years old. So mm-hmm. this is only going back, you know, six years ago in his recruitment. So what a, what an what a, what a very quick rise. Well, I like the story when he was, I think they said when he was a freshman, they had some sort of qualifying event for the team at Wake Forest and he shot 64, 65, beat everybody else on the team as a freshman. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, so before we recap our picks, I mean, we're going to go through our quick nine with TK this week, kind of an under the radar story, but talk about a guy who's fallen off the face of the earth. What is going on with Matthew Wolf? DQ for signing a bad scorecard at Augusta. This is on top of what has really been a horrific year to this point, but talk about a guy who, um, you know, out at Wingfoot was, was right there with a chance to win and, and was playing great last year. And he has completely fallen off the map. You're right. And I'm shocked by it. And, you know, people are saying, well, that swing won't hold up and all that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily think that's true. And I don't necessarily think that's specifically what's going on. Uh, but what does he have? Two missed cuts, a DQ, and a WD in his mm-hmm. four starts this year. Great question. Don't have the answer. Uh, but it's certainly very strange for someone who looked like last year was going to be a phenom. Yep. You know, he was one of the three who came out of Morikawa and Hovland, and you know, he's got to win. He finished. Uh, was he second at, at Wingfoot? I forget. But anyway, he was certainly in the top whatever he was, top five. There's got to be more to the story than meets the eye, or maybe he's just playing bad. But I, I guess I'd like to think it's a blip on the screen uh, and it's not a forecast of the future, but it's a great question. And it's very odd to think that in four events, he hasn't sniffed making a cut or hasn't played four rounds yet. Yeah. There was an image of him obviously taken by uh, you know, a master's photographer with uh, with obviously what cameras are allowed on site, but Friday afternoon. So this is even before he signed his scorecard. He's sitting on one of their, you know, beautiful wooden benches on the side of a tee box head in his hands. You know, the picture's taken from a distance kind of down, down the line. I said, I thought a couple of things. One, okay. I've been there (laughs) a from being hungover or B from, uh, you know, shooting a hundred plus, but uh, all of the above. Exactly. Oh my goodness. But yeah, that, that picture to me was, was the, the golf amateur's life in a nutshell as they took that. And they, I actually was actually surprised they posted it obviously, because, you know, typically it's uh it's positive media coming out of there, but. All right. Well, I think it is time for us to recap those picks, um, which we sort of hinted at. I think Scott by far had the best week. He took JT who ended up tied for 21st and Jordan was tied for third. So two good picks there for Scott. I had Xander who was tied for third and Rory who I'll never be picking again and, and make sure you guys mark the, the time okay. on, on the podcast here where I'm, I said, I'll never pick Rory again. <laughs> That's um, ridiculous. Cause you will. <laughs> And TK had DJ, who obviously we talked about missed the cut, and and Matthew Fitzpatrick tied for 34th. And TK's top 30 pick, I hope everybody unloaded on this one, was Brian Harmon with a tied for 12th finish. So a good pick there, a guy who's continuing to have some early season momentum and played well over the course of the week down at Augusta. So congrats, Scott, for um, two guys in the top 25. Well done. 
Yeah. Thank you. Lucky. Who knows? Right. I mean, Oh, um, it, it is just a crapshoot, isn't it? You just it never, totally is. you never know. And, and it's funny. It's a, TK, you're talking about it. And we're talking about Matthew Wolf and mental. We have no idea what's going on in these guys' personal lives and, and, you know, what's affecting them. And you're trying to pick them based on how they've been playing. And, you know, a guy might wake up and done, you know, got a cramp in his leg. You don't, you don't know that it is, it is a total crapshoot. Or he went out and got drunk and got, well, never <laughs> Yeah. I love that. That rich, that rich learner line is so good. And we are going to translate that over to so many of our friends on the golf course this year. Hey, played well yesterday. Where were you last night? Uh, went out, got schnockered, got the. Is it Frank? We'll have to use Frank it. As, right. Frank Stocky. It's all we have to say is Frank Stocky when we ask what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, so good. But, you know, on the Brian Harmon pick, I because he just obviously the way he played at the WGC let him just sneak in. And then the best part about for him, obviously, getting the top 12 is a reinvite last year. Right. And yep. I saw Robert McIntyre. They they had a little. I clip saw this, him. too. By Did the you way, see that? That I, was so good. So, he, you know, obviously he, he finds out, I'm not even sure if he knew, I, I would assume most players know, but he finds out that he's got the, the invite back for next year and he skips out of the locker room at, uh, at Augusta and he's, he's all pumped up and he's, and he's giving high fives and stuff. That's pretty cool. That is very it cool. just shows what a big deal it is for them and, and how they know it could be fleeting. You know, it could be the, uh, the one opportunity you have. That's cool. All right, TK, you ready for your, you're in the spotlight here with your quick nine. Well, that's on. You've only had six weeks to think about it. So say, these know, answers better be good. We were joking about how the fact that we surprise our guests with this quick nine and they have to sort of be impulsive and, and it's an instinctive answer. Now we've got, you know, this is a true test of how much Tyler studied in college because he's had six weeks to prepare. And if his, he says, I don't know to any one of these answers. His fantasy, answer? his fantasy foursome better blow us away. <laughs> Well, First I can't of all, wait to see the post round beverage. But anyway, the answer to your study in college question is this is evident to everyone, so we don't have to go there. <laughs> all right, walk or ride, my friend. It's it's an easy one for me. It's it's walking if the score matters, and uh, it's riding if the beers or cocktails are flowing. That's uh, and I think you would probably say that for me. Yeah, but, uh, it's pretty, pretty consistent. <laughs> or if you're riding with Toby because he has the place to, he needs to nod off. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole show. Yeah, that is a whole show. Mulligan on the first tee. If someone's given it. Stroke or match? Match play, hands down. Scotland, Ireland. Ireland, because it's in the blood and I have played there with some great memories, but I got to get to the, uh, I got to get to the home of golf. Eventually we've had a yeah. lot of chats, you and I about, uh, Royal Barnack and yeah. St. Andrews and, yeah. and I got to get there. Yeah. It's uh yeah, yes, you do. It's for someone who loves the game as much as you do. And as much as the three of us do, I mean, it's just having a pint and standing by the RNA and watching them tee I mean, yeah, you got to get there. Well, now, now we got, we got to get, we got to get rich up in New Hampshire to golf and we got to get the three of us to Scotland. Okay. Check. Let's go. I can do both. Jack or Tiger? Tiger. Your favorite course you have played and the course you most want to play? So this is really ironic because um, Rich Lerner brought this up, but my favorite is for for a memory that I'll carry with me for a long time is La Hinch in Ireland. I played with my brother. Yeah. And it is just such a special place. And this was 2000 and... 
2008, I want to say 2007 or 2008, but we just had, we did a little tour of Southern Ireland um, from a tourist standpoint, but also from a golfing standpoint. And, and him and I played a handful of great courses in La Hinch with the layout. And, you know, the, when you're over there, you're taking caddies and just the memories of so many holes at La Hinch. And then the after hours, obviously, in the local local towns of, of each of these communities is just incredible. So, and then I, I feel, obviously, Augusta is on the top of my list, but I feel like, Maddie, I feel like we're outsiders here. Right. So we're talking to, we talked to Chip, he's played Augusta. We talked to Jerry, he's played Augusta. We talked to Rich, he's played Augusta. Our co-host here has played Augusta. <laughs> Maddie, we're missing something here, man. Yeah, we're no missing kidding. something. So Augusta's at the top of the list. I think that's, it's almost in like that unattainable bucket in a mm. sense, right? For the, for the layman, everyman golfer. So I'm going to put St. Andrews right at the top because that's something as a, as an everyman golfer you can achieve. By the way, funny anecdote about that watching on Saturday, my, my youngest said to me, have you ever played Augusta? I said, Oh <laughs> no, no. You know, that Tiger Woods, Wii video game we have downstairs. That's the closest I've ever gotten. And it'll, will will remain the closest I've ever gotten. Or, or Augusta know. country club in Maine, though, either one, right? <laughs> well, so Scotty, the fun, so Maddie and I, most years watching the masters, cause we're, we're obviously home here in New Hampshire. Uh, Maddie, Maddie Keene and I went in 2010. By the way, that is the second Matt Keene reference in this show. And so yeah, is he getting paid per reference? I think there's, What's going on here? I think there's, there's something lot. going on, but go ahead. <laughs> That's actually, that's funny. So anyways, we drink our, uh, we drink our cocktails while we're watching the Masters in our 2010 Masters Cups, as people all across the U.S. do when they take those cups back from, sure. from the tournament. But is, uh, you know, so to your, to your son's uh, question about have you played? Uh, no, I drink out of a cup that I went 11 exactly. years ago. <laughs> that's how much I want to be there. <laughs> uh, favorite foursome and fantasy foursome. So the fantasy foursome is a uh, Scotty and I. We actually had we had a match on this one. Donald Ross is, yeah. is in it, right? And yeah. uh, Scotty and I have had the had the pleasure to play a few Donald Ross courses, and I'm just in love with his layouts, right? I love the history of the game, and obviously he's intertwined with the history of the game. And we're fortunate enough in New Hampshire to have a couple great Donald Ross layouts. But, you know, last uh, last fall, we went down and, and played Essex. And then and then I've also played uh, Pinehurst as well. And you, when you get to these courses, you just it doesn't even matter how you're playing. Sometimes you just fall in love with the walk and the way he lays things out. So, I mean, I would love to. He's definitely in mine easily, hands down. My favorite architect for sure. Um, coming off of uh, off of the Masters, Bobby Jones is in mine. I mean, the greatest amateur ever. You read stories about him and the fact of when he kind of pulled back from from playing and, and, and how he changed and pivoted in terms of what his career was. And, and Bobby Jones is easily in there. And then Arnold Palmer, the king's in mine. You know, he's, uh, I feel like... Uh, we probably have a lot in common with our, with our social, uh, social spin on the game. Yeah, exactly. Right. I had, to, I had to think about how I was going to phrase that, not to bring him down, but, um, that, that's definitely mine. So, you know, Donald Ross, Bobby Jones, and, and Arnold Palmer on the fantasy side, a uh, favorite foursome. Now I'm going to have to worry about who I mentioned here. <laughs> Matt Keane. Come I on down. <laughs> I can't give him a third mention. Matt Keen, oh Tom Keen, and 
Oh my gosh, you got me laughing out loud. This is good. I mean, four ball match. I'm going to say four ball match. Ready? We're going to even give Jake a shout out, right? This oh is my gosh. Yeah. And TK versus Jake and Scotty four ball match. Right oh, there. I love it. So right. cool. Where are we playing? Well, we we be playing at Hanover where there's a tear in my eye. So we've oh, got to find a, we've, got, we've got to find a new. Uh, I just had a meeting last night about the sadness of Hanover Country Club mm-hmm. and how it's pretty much a done deal. But anyway, we digress. Oh man, but I, that, there there are so many memories at that course for the four of us. So if, right. we were, if we were playing it where we could on a fantasy course, it'd be Hanover. Right. <laughs> so well, I'm honored to be included. Thank you. Yeah, your your golf day or event that you look forward to the most every year. This is a tough solo answer. I think I think it's three pronged. So the first night of Sunset League at, at Portsmouth Country Club kind of gets me through the winter. You know, it's, <laughs> that, it's that thing you look forward to, and we have a we have a big group chat uh, of a bunch of guys that are in league, and you know that's what kind of what gets it, that that chat gets us through the winter that first that first Wednesday in May. Otherwise, I'm going to have to say a one-day event is the BDO because it's full of laughs, good friends, and good fun. And then I obviously my my favorite event of the year from a weekend standpoint, and it goes on the calendar on January 1st, is, is obviously the TK. And that's been mentioned by a few folks. But I mean, I've only been there. This is this will be my 11th year, and I feel like I've been going forever. It, it's the best. Hard to imagine a summer without it, and I, I'm. It is. And I struggle to think that we're obviously moving into September, but at least we'll have it. So that's, that's the key part. Right. Right. All right. And so for the beer man, the the big question, what is your favorite go-to post round beverage? I mean, so do you guys know what a Bobby Lewis is? No, I do not. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So okay. we had to put a good joke in there. Anyway, so, Keen's uh, cousin or <laughs> it's Todd Lewis from the golf channels cousin, but uh, <laughs> no, Bobby Lewis is a Bud Light, right? So it's, that's, that's what it is, right? Currently I'm on, I'm on a little black cherry canteen kick. Oh, those are good. The new RTDs obviously. And, and that's, uh, those are on fire for us. So I'm, I'm on that from a, from a health kick, but uh, a Bud Light. You know, I can drink them all day and I stay in control, which is uh, something that's all I always strive for. Hmm. I'm not sure that's true. Um, <laughs> no, at su- least the- success and goal are different things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'd say TK's golf personality pretty much lines up with his uh, real life personality. So that's I totally perfect. agree. Well done. Um, before we get to our trivia winner for the month, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the really cool scene on Thursday morning with Lee Elder out on the first tee. That was, uh, that was a pretty special scene to see him out there with, uh, with Jack and Gary. Yeah. Agreed. And, and it, and uh, it makes you wanting for more, right. Um, to acknowledge people like that is pretty cool and pretty yep. special. And, you know, the reality is that, that Jack is getting older and Gary's older and, and made me start thinking about who's, who's the next one, right. Who's going to yeah. be, Who's, who's the next or who are the, who are the next ones who would be doing that? You know, Tom Watson jumps to mind or whatever the case may be, but, but I agree with you. I think as silly as, if I may use that word, as silly as that tradition is, it's still an incredibly special and moving and, and, um, and to add lead to that, I thought was pretty darn cool. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I actually, I get frustrated that it's not, there's not, there's not more coverage of that. Right. You know, you, you kind of got to dig for it a little bit. And I would yeah. think that they want that coverage front and center. I think it's a, I think it's an incredible tradition. I kind of wish 
that 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 had happened with Lee a little bit prior, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe he had been able to give a swing. Yeah. And I did read an article that said actually he was able to swing up until just a few weeks before the tourney right. or something. I so, think when he accepted, he could, but yeah. then by the time it came around. Yeah, which is uh, which is disappointing. I do have to mention one thing that, I mean, one of Gary Player's sons, I obviously. Just... <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to mention it. It bothers me so much. Like the tradition of the Masters. But can about, I ask, did you notice it? At the time, which I, I did not. I did, I did. You really? Yeah. I did not. No. No. I, I just think I, he was the way he was holding it. I'm I was like, what is this guy doing? And it didn't occur to me that he was trying to hawk a golf ball. Well, maybe we should uh, enlighten those who don't know. The fact is that Wayne Player, who was a very good player, by the way, in his own right, he was a golf professional, um, was the quote unquote caddy for his dad, Gary, who carried the bag down. And as they're standing on the first tee, he's literally holding a sleeve of golf balls with a brand as visible as was it encore. I think it was, is the brand. I forget what it would say. It's a a lesser known golf ball, but clearly he was, he was trying to hawk the brand of golf balls that Gary is sponsored by. And um, needless to say that did not go over well with Augusta national. And, and as I understand it, although they've never formally made this comment, but through the grapevine, he's been banned for life. Yeah. Yep. That's what I saw as well. Which, you know, what, how do you think, how does that conversation go with Gary? <laughs> Awkward. Very, sim- very simply. Yeah. Right. right? And, and I mean, and for, for most people, it doesn't go simply, but for the masters or for the, for Augusta national, it is very simple. Right. Right. And, and that's why I think we all love it. I think it, and then that is bookended with the kind of the closing moment with Hideki's caddy you know, putting the flag stick back in and bowing to the course out of a sign of respect. That to me is everything the masters is about. Right. And that's Japanese heritage and et cetera. So it's really a cool closing moment coming from an opening moment where someone's doing something that is totally against kind of what the masters is about. Well, at the end of the day, isn't that how we all feel? We all have that reverence and respect for the golf course. You know, we've seen it our whole lives and, we've all dreamed it, you know, to be there, to, to be able to play, to be in that last group, to, to walk up the 18th and, and try to even imagine what that emotion must be like for the winner. I, you're, you're exactly right. TK It was a perfect way to sort of put a bow on the whole thing. Um, so to transitioning into our trivia contest for the month, the question was, there's only one player who's finished runner-up in the Masters to both Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods. Scott, I know that you and I talked, and you have the answer. TK, do you know? Scott, why don't you uh, enlighten? Well, I, did you did you see the the, the lack of uh, enthusiasm with his no answer? <laughs> do you think if he actually said yes, I do, it's Tom Kite, it might have come out slightly differently than the subtly whispered no? <laughs> It is, it is Tom Kite. Scott, do you know the years? They're pretty easy. If you know yeah, who it 80, is. 86, obviously, for, for when he lost to Jack. And, and it, you know, I've seen that 86 Masters a thousand times, right? And and um, and so was it, well, I don't think it was 97. Well, it must have been, was it 97? No, it had to be 97. It was 97, yep. yep. Yeah. So who, here's another follow-up. Who finished, or I shouldn't say who finished, who actually played with Tiger in the final round in 97? Wasn't Tom Kite. Constantino Roca. That yep. is correct. He yep. shot 75. 
Kite shots actually shot 6670 on the weekends to finish solo second. My my favorite memory of of his pairing on on Saturday was um so I think he was right he was in sec, uh, Tiger was winning after two rounds leading after two rounds and Colin Montgomery was in second and they get paired together. Now keep in mind that you know Colin was really good at the time and Tiger was well a phenom and young totally unproven. And I vividly remember the quote when they asked Colin about, well, what, what's going to happen tomorrow? He goes, well, we'll see what the young buck can do, you know, kind Ooh, of comment. Boy. And then on Saturday after the round, the interview was, oh, young buck's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. And you know what? Uh, you know what Colin followed up his 74 on Saturday with on Sunday? No. 81. Ooh. So our winner for the trivia contest is David Eddy. So congratulations, David. We'll be in touch with you about getting you your golf and ski gift card, but congratulations. Um, Another note on that, as I'm looking at the 97 results, any idea how much Tiger took home for winning in 97? 300,000. I was going to go 550. 486, a paltry 486. Wow. Incredible. Two point, is it 2.1 million to the winner this year? I think, I think, yeah, just over 2 million. So do you think Tiger's had an impact? I was just going to say, I I continue to hope that Tiger gets thank you notes from all these guys when they're winning (laughs) tournaments, because the the purses would not look like that without him. Who got, what place got 485 this year? Oh gosh. Um, Tie for fourth, something like that. That's something. Yeah. I mean, Zalatoris won what? 1.4, 1.2, 1.2. So, Rom and Leishman tied for fifth and they both got 437. So there you go. Frank Nabilo finished last in the money in, oh, let me get this straight, 86. Uh, yeah, in, in, in 97, I'm sorry, Frank Nabilo finished 46th and won $8,300. <laughs> I do, we do have to give a shout out to our boy, uh, Rich Lerner. The, uh, the live from ratings came in from last week and they were off right? the charts. That's so, awesome. Yeah. He's good, man. He's he good. Is the awesome. show's great, but it was so cool. Yeah, Matt, you said your point when you're sitting with your kids. And so Hayes is sitting with me and you know, he's not that engaged and obviously live from. And I said, Hayes, that's the that's the gentleman that we talked to um on the podcast. And he's like, That guy, the guy on the right? I said, Yes, the the guy on the right. So it's so great though, you know. And I said, Well, maybe we'll get Randall and Justin on someday. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> well, we awesome. can pull back the curtain here a little bit. The three of us talk that you, you get somebody like Rich on the show. And I thought Rich was going to be kind of all business. It's, it's all golf. And we did an hour of the interview and we hadn't even touched on anything that's going on currently in the world of golf, that the stories that he had and the way that he very much disarms you immediately. And you feel like you're just sitting around after a round of golf, having a beer, listening to somebody tell these great stories because they've been around the game for so long. And, and, we could have done easily another hour plus with him. And I think he would have been game for it because he obviously gets a kick out of it. So it was, we hope everybody enjoyed it, but it was just as much of a treat for us. It was, it was something special. Yeah. If not a, a greater treat. I, I mean, I've, as you, as you guys obviously know, I've, I've known him for a while. And yet at the same time to get an hour, an hour and a half of his time where he can just go uh, and run with it. It was, it was fabulous. I really enjoyed it. I'd love to do it again. I'm sure he'd do it again with us yep. anytime. For sure. And to segue into future episodes, we're going to have a lot more great guests that that we think people are going to find interesting. So 
stay tuned for that. Obviously, download the show, subscribe, leave us a review. Um, we appreciate all the support we've gotten to this point. We hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And we'll be back again in another couple of weeks with a new episode. And obviously, we got the PGA right around the corner. So we'll we'll be getting ready for that. But uh, anything else on, on the Masters before we sign off for, for this week, guys? Nope. Just can't wait for the next year. I know it's, it's right. I mean, it's just the best tournament. So you love those posts when they, or you, you love and hate those posts, but it's the, the Monday after post when it says right. 364 days right. you know, or 361 days now. So, all right. Thanks as always guys, everybody. Good we'll stuff. Talk, to you, talk to you again soon. Take care. Cheers.